Amen. Okay? Take your Bibles tonight. Let's go back where we were last week to uh, Psalm 37. We're going to kind of divide this up as we said. We went through 1 through 11 this week. Now we're going to uh, pick up at verse 12 and go down to, uh, I think, verse 26. And um, I love, I love this psalm. And the more I read it, the more I love it. The more I think about what it says, the more I love what it says to me, what it says about me as a child of God, and what it says uh, about you as well. And as David is writing this, he uh, keeps saying this one thing over and over. The wicked are going to be done away with. There's going to be a day. You and I are going to experience a day by the grace of God through the Lord Jesus Christ where we not only uh, can overcome sin, but we're going to be finished with sin. We not only can overcome evil, we'll be finished with evil. We not only can win the attacks of the devil and the demons of hell, one of these days we're going to be finished with all of that. And uh, the Bible talks about uh, several things when the Lord returns to take us home in 1 Thessalonians 4. He doesn't come to earth. That's really not the second coming. That's when we go out and the living and dead, the Bible says, will be taken out in the moment in the twinkling of an eye and made like Christ. And we're going to go to be with him. And during that time, the earth is going to enter into a time of trouble, Jesus said, like never before. And, uh, you know, you think about where technology has taken us. There are some wonderful, very helpful, marvelous things that technology uh, does for us. But there are also some things that are really concerning about all of that. Uh, there's a lot of information that is being gathered uh, about you and the government has it available to them. And if you ever do anything wrong or there's ever any cause... They can find out about anything they want to find out. And there are privacy issues and all kinds of things that go along with all of that. But it's kind of what the book of Revelation talks about, that the Antichrist, when he comes to power, is going to be able to do, to track people, to control people. He's even going to be able to determine whether they're going to be able to buy or sell. And the only way they can do that is, uh, the Bible talks about taking his mark. That's basically saying that you are aligned with him pledging allegiance to the Antichrist. And uh, most of the world is going to do that. That's a horrible thing to think about. There's going to be bloodshed, persecution, and we're going to be in heaven. What are we going to be doing during that time? Well, we've been called out by the Lord, taken up to be with him, and we're going to be enjoying during that seven years the marriage supper of the Lamb. Remember at the last uh, supper that the Lord... Uh, gave to his disciples after that Passover. He said, I won't drink of the fruit of the vine until I drink it anew with you in the kingdom of my Father. Uh, that's going to be something to look forward to. If you like Lord's Supper services, and I do, and I always get blessed by them, can you imagine what it's like when you are there in the presence of Jesus and he says, take this bread, and he passes that out, and we remember the Lord's death. Can you imagine what that's going to be like? And um, I enjoy eating, obviously. And can you imagine what it's like when the Lord prepares the menu? And there's feasting that's going to take place at the marriage supper of the Lamb. That's going to be amazing. And then the Lord is going to return 
on that white horse that Revelation 21 talks about and we're going to come down with him and he's going to take over the earth and the wicked and the ungodly are going to be destroyed. It even says in Revelation he comes down with a sword coming out of his mouth. I take that as a symbol for the word of God. He just speaks and it's, they're done. And he's going to do something that Jews have looked forward to for thousands of years. He's going to set down in Jerusalem on the throne of his ancestor David. And he's going to fulfill all of the promises that have ever been made to Israel. They're going to be fulfilled at that time when he rules and reigns on the earth. And during that time, the devil is going to be bound in chains, the Bible says, and cast into a bottomless pit. How many of you like darkness and falling? A thousand years, he is going to be bound in a pit that is bottomless. A thousand years of falling. Can you imagine? And the Bible says that after that thousand years is up, that the devil is going to actually be put in the lake of fire that was prepared for him. And God is going to create a brand new heaven and a brand new earth and will rule and reign on that forever. The other's a thousand years. That's great. But in the new heaven and new earth, he'll reign and will reign with him forever and ever and ever in a place that has never been touched or scarred by sin. In that new heaven and new earth, you'll never, you know, uh, drive by a place that stirs up a bad memory. You'll never be able to recall something that, oh, I was here when somebody called me that name or when they hurt me or something like that. No, he's going to wipe out all of that kind of stuff and give us a brand new, fresh start in a place that is going to last forever. That's what the Lord has planned for you. And David, as he wrote Psalm 37, he didn't know the details of it. Now, neither do we, actually. We kind of know the broad strokes of what's going to happen, but how and what it looks like, we, we don't know. We get glimpses of it as technology advances, but we don't really know, and we've never really lived uh, under a king or under a government or a kingdom like Jesus is going to have because there's always corruption and sin and junk that goes on, people playing politics and you know, all of that kind of stuff, necessary evils, I guess we would say. But when the Lord comes and sets up his kingdom on earth, well, we're not going to have to worry about any of that. It's going to be refreshing. Every court decision is going to be right. You know, every executive decision is going to be right and on target. And there won't be any ulterior motives or anybody like that. You know, sometimes I hear about politicians going to Congress broke and coming out multimillionaires, and I go, hmm. How in the world does that happen? Especially after they only serve sometimes one or two terms and their life changes. What's going on? What's going on behind the scenes? And don't you kind of have a feeling there's a lot more than meets the eye? A lot going on behind the scenes. Well, when the Lord is ruling and reigning, we won't have to worry about anything like that, right? And that's going to be a refreshing, wonderful thing that we can't even imagine. So David kind of gives us a glimpse of all of that when we get into Psalm 37 and let's start reading at verse 12 it says the wicked plots against the just and gnashes at him with his teeth that's an expression of anger and, and hatred and disdain verse 13 the Lord 
laughs at him. That's interesting, isn't it? Is the Lord laughing today? Oh yeah, he's laughing at all the big shots on earth who think they are something. And they have all of their plans and their plans to destroy the Lord, his morality, his work, and even in some cases his people. And you know what the Lord does? He laughs. He laughs because they're not going to be able to do it. And why does he, what does he see? It says in verse 13, the Lord laughs at him, these planners of evil, these plotters against the just, for he sees that his day is coming. You're going to get yours, is what the Lord is saying. Verse 14, the wicked have drawn the sword and they have bent their bow, pulling back on the strings, ready to shoot their arrows, to cast down the poor and the needy, to slay those who are of upright conduct. Then he says in verse 15, this is the day that's coming. Their sword shall enter their own heart and their bows shall be broken. That means their weapons are going to be made absolutely useless. Verse 16, a little that a righteous man has is better than the riches of many wicked. Now, that's not what the world tells you, but that's the truth. Verse 17, for the arms of the wicked shall be broken... But the Lord upholds the righteous. So what camp would you rather be in? Where would you rather be? Verse 18, the Lord knows the days of the upright and their inheritance shall be forever. You know, most inheritances, inheritances don't last very long. But this is a forever inheritance because you're inheriting the kingdom of the Lord. You're a joint heir with Jesus, the firstborn son. Verse 19, they shall not be ashamed in the evil time, and in the days of famine they shall be satisfied. Why? Because the Lord's taking care of you and meeting your needs. Verse 20, but the wicked shall perish. Seems like that's what he wants to get across, right? And the enemies of the Lord, like the splendor of the meadows, shall vanish. Into smoke they shall vanish away. The wicked borrows and does not repay. But the righteous shows mercy and gives. For those blessed by him shall inherit the earth. Notice that term inheritance again. Inherit the earth. But those cursed by him shall be cut off. Same two themes. The steps of a good man are ordered or ordained by the Lord. And he, the Lord, delights in his way. That way he, he is ordained for us. Now though he falls, that's you and me, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholds him, the good man, the righteous man, with his hand. Verse 25, I've been young, and now I'm old. Anybody say amen to that? Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken. Yeah, you can go ahead and say amen to that. Nor his descendants begging bread. Amen to that. Verse 26. He is ever merciful in lens, and his descendants are blessed. Boy, I want to think about life being a contrast 
between good and evil, right and wrong, people who have received the righteousness of Christ, not because they work harder, not because they do better, but because they have trusted in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ alone for their salvation. That's what the Bible teaches. And because of that, the Lord gives us eternal life. And remember, eternal life is not just an extension of what we've got. Eternal life, eternal, is no beginning and no ending. Well, wait a minute. There's only one person I know of with no beginning and no ending. And who might that be? What was that? It's God. So when Jesus gives you eternal life that you don't deserve, he's giving you new life, not just an extension of what you've got. Who wants that? New life. And what life is that? It's an eternal life that comes from the eternal one that is God. In other words, at the moment you got saved... When you confess Jesus as Lord and ask him to forgive you of your sins because of what Jesus did for you and you believe that Jesus died and was raised from the dead, Romans 10, 9, and you confessed him as Lord, what he did was he gave you his life. Can you imagine that you now share in the life of God and that is an eternal life without beginning or end. And when you think about what David is saying here, that the world right now and the wickedness that is in it, they seem to have the upper hand. They have always seemed to have the upper hand or this wouldn't be written. I mean, David's not writing about 21st century America, or is he? Well, when he wrote this, he was writing about his day. This is before Christ. The evil one has always seemed to have the glamour, the glitz, the power, all the things that go with evil. And as they do and carry out the plans that they have made, it seems like good people suffer during that time. How many people that were Christians like you and like me died in Soviet gulags? along with criminals. How many people today around the world are being persecuted? Have you seen the pictures a few years ago of ISIS putting Christians in those cages and then putting them into water or putting them into fire or those kind of things? Why'd they do that? Well, we find it here and David, as he writes about it, he said, this is the way it has always been. And God's people have always seemed to kind of be um, persecuted, cast out. Things don't seem to be right over and over in the Bible. Why do the heathen prosper? Aren't we the children of God? It looks like God would zap us and we would be the ones with no problems, no wars, plenty of money, no diseases or anything like that. And yet it seems to be the opposite. Why do good people suffer? Why do bad things happen to good people? A famous rabbi wrote. And you know the truth of the matter is when you read Romans chapter 3, you're going to have a hard time coming up with a good person, aren't you? And uh, we look and we think about the Bible saying we reap what we have sown. Uh, my goodness, most of us haven't even come close to reaping everything that we've sown. It's only by the mercy and the grace of God that it doesn't come on us like a flood. And the only righteousness we have is not our own, it's the righteousness 
of Christ that has been given to us. And so with all of that being said, the Bible calls us, as we've entitled this, to get the big picture. We're not going to see some of these things take place like David writes it in the next 24 hours. May even be decades before we see it. This is stuff that is going to happen when the Lord returns and when he sets up his kingdom. This is something that's going to happen on down the road. Now, the Lord may call us out tonight, and uh, so then we know, well, then this is going to happen, you know, about a thousand and seven years from now. But uh, the evil ones are going to get what they deserve. People like Hitler, people like bin Laden and all of that. I have heard uh, sometimes on the news and they talk about a, a criminal who commits suicide. Oh, well, they got off easy. Not according to the word of God. Because there's another court they're going to have to stand before. And there's a righteous judge they're going to stand before. And there won't be any need for a jury of his peers. Because the judge they stand before knows the entire story. And he knows what's right or wrong, and he's going to pass sentence on them. And that's a terrifying thought. And we need to think about those kind of things. Judgment is not just in this life. There's an eternal judgment that's coming, according to the Scripture. And then we also need to think about this. The blessings that we receive are not just the blessings that might be kind of temporary and pleasurable for a moment, but also kind of have, you know, the other side of the coin Sometimes it happens like that, doesn't it? We've got an eternal blessing coming because we're going to live with the Lord and that's going to be a forever thing, a forever thing. And so when we were saved, when you trusted the Lord, you were freed from the penalty of sin. That's a good thing. That's a wonderful thing. That's far beyond what we deserve. Now the Lord is taking you and sanctifying you, and that's a process. He's training you, he's disciplining you, he's blessing you, he's correcting you, he's instructing you, all of those things, so that sin would no longer, as the book of Romans says, have dominion over you. You're learning to be free. You're learning to battle. You're learning to fight. You're learning to lay things aside. You're learning to value things that are really valuable. And God is releasing you from the power of sin. And then one day, when you are called out of here, like 1 Thessalonians 4 says, in the rapture of the church, you will be forever freed from the very presence of sin. So you've got a great, great future in the Lord. But if you're looking at the next five minutes, it may not look so great. If you're looking at the next decade, it may not look so great. If you look back and say, whatever happened back there and this didn't go the way I thought it was going to, well, then you'll get depressed and you'll get discouraged. And that's why Psalms like this, as so many other places in the Scripture say, hey, child of God, look up. It's not just about the nasty now and what's going on. It's about a glorious and grand future and what God has planned and what God is going to do. So think about it like this. Point number one, based uh, on verses, uh, where are they, 12 um, and down to... 14 or so, it says that the fight doesn't end in this life. And the Lord doesn't negotiate. 
One of the things you'll never be disappointed about is what the Lord says is right will always be right. It's not going to vacillate. He's not going to waver. He's not going to disappoint you. You know, um, as much as we try to uh, elect good people to office, have you ever had your candidate disappoint you when they got to Washington, D.C.? Happens, doesn't it? Why does it happen? Well, some of them are liars. Get that out of the way. Some of them are good people that just can't handle the pressure. You know, maybe the reason you're not a congressperson or a senator is because you couldn't handle it even as well as some of the bad ones do. That's a lot of pressure. A lot of pressure going on. There's a lot of things, the bigness. When I think about our national debt, what is it, like $22 trillion? Well, what's a couple of billion here or there when you're talking about numbers like that? Can anybody even comprehend what it's like? Can you imagine somebody like you, Mr. Smith, goes to Washington and then they throw a budget out in front of you? I have enough trouble with my own, much less with all those zeros after it, right? Can you imagine what it's like? And can you imagine when somebody that's been up there 20, 30 years, they come to you and they tell you, here's a deal we need to make, and this is the way we need to make it. And you don't really know if it's a good deal or not, but you trust that person, and then you find out later on that you've been led astray. Can you imagine the pressure that they're under and the things that happen? It's not as easy as it seems. And I think about how many times people that get elected, they end up disappointing us. I thought you stood for this, and then they vacillate. Good night. How many times have we had people that were supposed to be conservatives that were appointed to the Supreme Court, and as soon as they got there, they headed to the left and sided with the left? I was praying not too long ago, and I said, Lord, would you please mess with liberals? And put somebody who's a leftist on the Supreme Court that heads to the right? But that never happens, does it? Never happens. And we get disappointed by all of those kind of things because people say, this is what I stand for. And um, I think it was in 2016, Ted Cruz made a statement I agreed with. He said, we are tired of people that that campaign as conservatives and govern as liberals. Well, see, that bless my dear old conservative heart, right? Because I don't want to sell out to a political party or anything like that. I just want morality. I just want justice. I want the rule of law. And not a different rule for a politician, not a different rule for somebody who has money or power or a certain name. I want it for everybody. I'd kind of like to think that if the President of the United States is guilty of something, that he would receive the same penalty I would. Or a candidate, or a congressperson, or a cabinet member, or anything like that. My goodness, man, they get away with stuff that if you even tried to do that, do you know what the IRS would do to you? Do you know what would happen to you? You'd get it. They'd throw the book at you. They'd make an example out of you. And then we watch people that are in power. It's like, is anybody ever going to even say anything about it? And the news media doesn't even many times want to touch it. You see, that's because people in human nature, it vacillates. It changes. 
And sometimes we make a big pronouncement, and then later on we find out a couple of more facts, and we go, oh, well, I guess I was wrong about that. Sometimes we're just corrupted, and we, do, uh, we lie, and we tell people what they want to hear, right? And then when it comes down to actually doing right, we do something completely different. We all do that, and that's the way the world works. Now, sometimes we think that if I'm tempted in an area and I just am getting whipped in that area, I mean, I'm tired of fighting the battle. I'm tired of wearing the armor. I'm tired of of standing up against the attack of the enemy. You know, sometimes I think, well, maybe if I can just kind of give in to them a little bit, it'll relieve the pressure and all this will go away and we'll have peace. After all, they promise you that. You'll just give up, do things our way. We'll leave you alone. Now, does that ever happen? And you find people that do things that they know are wrong. They compromise with the, with the Lord. They compromise the Word of God. They compromise truth. And they think it's going to bring them peace. And you know, the sad thing about it is it doesn't bring them peace. All it does is make the enemy laugh and say, Charge, we've got them now. You can't negotiate with the enemy. You can't negotiate about right or wrong. And here's the good news. The Lord does not negotiate at all. So the enemy's going to keep fighting, and we better be ready for that. They're not going to let up. When you resist them, they just flee. That's what James says. Resist the devil, and he will flee. Why do they flee? So they can gather reinforcements to figure out a better way to attack. That's all it is. And they watch, and they look, and they trip us up. They lay traps for us. All of those things happen, and we should be ready for that. We act like we're surprised. Peter said, don't be surprised by the fiery trial that comes on you. Why? Because the Bible tells you that. Jesus even told you, in the world you will, you will have tribulation. You don't even have to claim that promise. It's just going to happen, right? When you think about all of the things that go on, you can look at verse 12 and read it. The wicked plots against the just and gnashes at him with his teeth. And there's nothing in here that says he's going to do that for a little while. That is the constant state of what the enemy and people that the enemy controls, that's what they do. It's just what they do. But then you look at this and you find out that the Lord doesn't negotiate with them. In fact, what does he do? The last thing you'd want to do if you were negotiating, he laughs at them. Can you imagine how mad it must make the devil Whenever he does something, and about the time he says, that's working just the way we want it, he hears laughter coming from the halls of heaven. You're not going to change the Lord's plan. You're not going to change his morality. Nobody negotiates with God. Evil doesn't negotiate with God because God never compromises. He is an unchanging God. And that's what I see when I look at these verses here. That the Lord laughs because he sees that his day is coming and nothing's going to change that, right? The wicked have drawn the sword. Well, good for you. You got your bow back. Oh, isn't that something? Can you imagine what the Lord says as he laughs at the enemy's weapons? Martin Luther wrote in his song, A Mighty Fortress 
is our God. He said, the prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. Right? And we got to understand the Lord has already triumphed uh, in this. And that leads us, as we read these verses, to think this is a sure thing that's going to happen. And that leads me to point number two. As a child of God, you are already on the winning side. The Lord has already won. He's already laughing. The bows of the enemy are already breaking. We see that from time to time. There are some times when the sword goes into their own hearts and we are so thankful because what looked like it was going to turn against us and everything that we believe, all of a sudden something changed. It's almost like we're at the Red Sea seeing the Egyptian army coming and we're going, oh no, Moses, what have you done? Brought us out here to die? How can this bring any glory to God? And then all of a sudden the waters part and we walk across on dry land and we didn't even see it coming. We didn't even have sense enough to pray about it. I'm so glad that God is not dependent. I'm glad he answers our prayers and he calls us to pray. But I'm so glad he's not dependent on it. Because in that case, nobody thought, Dear Lord, we ask thee that in thy great power that thou mightest divide the water. Nobody did that. In fact, you say, well, Moses held out his staff because God told him to. Think about that. The Bible says your Lord knows what you need even before you ask. Now, it's a good thing to ask, and there's nothing wrong with asking, and he encourages us to do that. But understand this, God's not in heaven going, oh, I wish somebody would give me permission to do my work. That's not it. And there are those times when all you can see is death and peril and destruction, and there's no way out, and all of a sudden, and there you go. And you never knew it was coming. And you walk on dry land. This makes you nervous, doesn't it? I mean, think about that. And you get to the other side. And then you sing and dance like Miriam did. And then what happens? Here's an illustration of what it says in here. Their sword goes through their own heart and their bow is broken. Pharaoh thinks, well, if they did it, we can do it too. And so their chariots and their horses come rumbling across that same ground you escaped on. And all of a sudden, there's a horrifying sound as the walls of water collapse on all of them. How many times has that happened? Here's an evil man named Hitler responsible for the deaths of 6,000 Jews in concentration camps. And he ends up dying in a bunker in Berlin, underground. And he shoots himself and his body is burned later on. Isn't that an example of their sword is driven through their own heart? Their bows are broken. And this is just a foretaste of what's going to happen when the Lord returns as the rider on the white horse and all, all the beasts, the false prophet, and all to, who took his mark, they're all going to be destroyed. This is what David is talking about. And remember, the battle goes on and on and on until Jesus puts a stop to it. 
and the Lord doesn't negotiate. There's no peace treaty. There's no armistice signed with them. It's either victory or defeat. It's all or nothing, and that's what the Lord's going to do. And here's the thing, folks. You're already on the winning side. Why? He's already won the victory. It's just a matter of time. And that's why he laughs. Who can go against the Lord God, the Almighty? No one can. And as a child of God, you're already on the winning side because their sword is going to pierce their own heart. Their bows will be broken. And look at this. A little that a righteous man has is better than all the riches of many wicked. Why? Because of what's going to happen to them. You're better off right now, even if you're persecuted, even if you have nothing, even if the government confiscates everything you've got, you're better off than they are. Oh, it would be nice to have that power and everything. Not at that price. Not at that price. A little that a righteous man has is better than the riches of, of many wicked. Not just one, many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but here's you. Here you are, puny little you. And yet when you look at that, go, oh, the government and evil and wickedness, it's just so powerful. I don't know what to do. I'm just, oh, man, it made me think of when I was in third grade. My dad was in Vietnam, and we were living in northwest Arkansas. And they came in one day and they told us we had to practice and do a drill in case of nuclear attack. Did you ever do that? You know what we did? <laughs> Sometimes you go out in the hallways. We got under our desks. Okay, here's hydrogen bomb and Greg's desk. Oh, you know, I'm safe under here. Boy, carry this thing with me everywhere I go. Seriously? It's ridiculous, isn't it? It's ridiculous. And sometimes that's the way it feels as a child of God in the era in which we live. Here comes the enemy with their bombs and there's a threat that they're going to get us. I'm going to hide under my chair. I'm going to hide under the desk. Oh, I'm safe under here. No, you're not. But let me tell you this. They may have the bombs. They may have the momentum. They may have all of that. And they may have all the riches. They may have everything that you might want. And you say, I have so little and who am I and how can I do this? Hey, listen. You, 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 you. You are upheld by the hand of God. Why are you afraid? Well, I'm just too afraid to go up and tell somebody about Jesus. Really? You're upheld by the hand of God. Now, if you look at yourself... Yeah, there's no, there's no power against a hydrogen bomb under a desk unless you're upheld by the hand of the Lord. And when you think about what these verses are saying to you and what they mean in your life, it says the arms of the wicked are going to be broken. Well, it's kind of hard to use a sword and it's kind of hard to use a bow when your arms are broken. What he's saying is they're disarmed. He's going to take care of them. But the Lord upholds the righteous. The Lord knows the days of the upright. He hadn't forgotten you. He knows when you were born. He knows your birthday. He knows the date of your death. And he has not forgotten you in the meantime. He is upholding you and walking with you in all of that because he knows you. And he is going to take you out of here one day at the time of his choosing. And then you're going to enter into an inheritance. Now, you know what's funny about that? 
Uh, when your parent or grandparent dies, they may leave you an inheritance, but they die and leave it behind, you get the inheritance. Did you notice here, in this case, you die and you get the inheritance. It's kind of weird, but that's the way it works because you're inheriting a kingdom that is not of this world, and it is going to be an amazing thing, which brings me to this third point. What is the difference between the good people and the bad people? Well, the good people in here are those who have put their trust in the Lord for any goodness or righteousness that they have. These are the people who understand that in me, the Apostle Paul said this, that is in my flesh there dwells no good thing. So I don't have anything to offer God. I don't have anything to commend me to God. Everything I do that might even appear to be kind of somewhat, you know, a little bit good, It stinks and is rotten because of my sin and my depravity. What do I have to offer him? Nothing. That's what it means to be poor in spirit, as uh, you talked about in your Sunday school class. And so he has given us everything by his grace. We deserve nothing. He has given us everything. And when that happens, he changes our life. He changes our nature. He changes our eternal destiny and all of those kind of things. And here we are now serving God, honoring God, doing the will of God, loving God, walking in the power of God. And that led me to uh, this point. The difference between those who are saved and those who are lost, it's lifestyle and destiny. It's not just destiny. Some people go, well, I'm going to heaven, so it doesn't really matter how I live. I doubt those people are going to heaven. But when a person is saved, we're kicking into the book of James. Show me your faith. Let me see. How did he put that? And I'll show you my faith by my works. Right? Isn't that right? Because faith without works is dead. Right? In other words, faith and works, faith and lifestyle always go together. Now, works don't bring faith, but faith does bring works. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, right? And notice here that when some people think, what is the difference between the wicked and the good, those who have been saved, what is it? It's not just that I'm going to heaven, but my life should show that I'm going to heaven. My life should show that I've been changed. I heard uh, Paul Washer one time talking about people that say, well, I've been saved and their life hasn't been changed. He said, that's a little like saying before you got to this meeting tonight, you got hit by a Mack truck, just head on. The Mack truck was doing about 65 miles an hour and you were walking across the street and bam, the Mack truck hits you. And yet your hair is not messed up. You don't have any blood. Your clothes aren't torn or wrinkled. And you walk in and you go, Whew, I just got hit by a Mack truck. And people would look at you and go, there's no way you got hit by a Mack truck. Right? And he said, and the same thing is true for a person who says, I've met Jesus and I'm on my way way to heaven and there's no change. You cannot encounter a holy God without being changed. You cannot be saved by the grace of God, by the blood of Jesus, and remain unchanged. He who hath begun a good work in you shall complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. And notice here that when he talks about the difference 
He says in verse 19, they shall not be ashamed in the evil time. In other words, you're going to stand for Jesus, whether it's popular or whether it's not. And in the days of famine, they'll be satisfied. Your trust is in God providing for you, not the stock market, not the economy, not who's in the White House or anything like that. But the wicked shall perish. There's a difference. And the enemies uh, of the Lord, uh, like the splendor of the meadows, shall vanish. You know, uh, we had a good summer, and we had a lot of green grass around here and green trees. And then all of a sudden, the cold weather hit. And what happened to the splendor of all of that grass? It's that ugly, yellowish kind of guy. And everything in Oklahoma in the winter is the same color. You notice that? It's not very pretty. Nobody looks around and says, you need to come and see Oklahoma in January. Nothing like that, is there? Why? That's the splendor of the meadow, the grassland. It goes, it's there, and you go, oh, that's pretty. And boy, that, your yard looks nice. You got it trimmed up and mowed and fertilized. It's so green, and everything looks so good. And boom, here comes the freeze. Well, there went the splendor of the meadow. That's what he's talking about. And that's the difference between the righteous and the wicked. What we do lasts forever. It's blessed by God. What they do, it just turns to smoke. It burns away and vanishes away. But look at verse 21. Here's a lifestyle thing. The wicked, they borrow and they do not repay. Why? Their word doesn't mean anything. They don't really care. But look what happens. But the righteous shows mercy and gives. Why? Because not only is our destiny different, our lifestyle is different. Our motivation is different. Our outlook is different. And the way we treat people is just different because we see people as made in the image of God. And so we act differently because of that, because the Spirit of God lives within us and we've been liberated from our sins. So it's not just I'm going to heaven when I die, it's my life has been changed. Which brings us to this last thing down in verse 23, number 4. God's children have every reason to be eternally optimistic. Why are we looking at everything and getting down, getting discouraged and getting messed up? Do we not believe in a sovereign God? Notice it says here in verse 23, the steps of this good man, this man who's saved by the grace of God, his steps, his steps, that's the, about the smallest unit that you have. It's not the miles of a good man are ordered by God. It's not the decades it's not the centuries, it's not the eras, it's the steps. Your steps are ordered by the Lord. And the Lord delights in what he has ordered of you. I'm walking through a valley right now and I hate it. The Lord delights in it. I'm in a storm right now and I don't know what I'm going to do. The winds and the waves are blowing and the Lord delights in it. I'm in a time when I feel so alone, and the Lord delights in that. Why? Because all things work together for good to those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. He delights in his way. And then look what happens. I, I, I'm going to stumble and fall in this darkness. That's okay. You're not going to be utterly cast down. Why? Because the Lord upholds you with his hand. And then David gives us a personal testimony, and he says, Let me tell you how this worked in my life. I've been young, and now I'm old. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, ever, nor his descendants begging bread. Boy, that's a good thing to think of, isn't it? 
He is ever merciful in lens. This is the way we live. We are the ones that whatever we have, we're able to share it with someone else. And our descendants are blessed. I prayed for some time now as I've become a grandfather for my grandkids and all the things that they face and ask that they wouldn't be touched by abuse or addiction. And I go through several things like that. And then I pray, and Lord, my desire is that when Jesus returns, there will be somebody, somebody, and maybe more than one somebody, but at least somebody with mine and Sammy's DNA serving the Lord somewhere. Whether that's 500 years from now or whether it's 10 days from now, that somebody will be doing that. I want my descendants to be blessed forevermore. So here's what this is all kind of wrapping up to. What's our attitude? Child of God, it ought to be optimism. Ought to be optimism. God's in control. What's our testimony? It ought to be one of faith. What's our, what should our actions be? Serving. Helping other people. Even if they do us dirty and do us wrong. And what should our impact be? It ought to be intergenerational. And maybe, maybe, maybe Christianity and churches and all that, they tell us we're losing all of our young people. Maybe it's because we've been so negative. They say, then what's the point? Maybe we've acted as panicked as the world. And they say, what's the point? Where's their God? And maybe it's because we haven't shown them a real God. And even though we sing about a real God, talk about a real God, argue about a real God, it doesn't show up in our attitude, it doesn't show up in our testimony, and it doesn't show up in our lifestyle. And they look at that and they go, what's the difference? Man, go for the gusto. Go for the money. Go for the power. Do whatever you have to do. Go along to get along. And they've turned to pragmatism that says that the end justifies the means. And they say that in front of a God who says, nope, I don't negotiate. Right is right. And wrong is wrong. And may God grant us the wisdom to be able to see the difference of who He is, what He has ordained, and who we are in Christ. Can anybody say amen to that? Okay, let's pray. Okay. Lord, we look around at our evil, broken, messed up, sinful, cursed world. And we see the way it's run we see the way that it's going we see the things that even come against us and we get afraid we get negative we get angry all of those kind of things and we see tonight from this part of psalm 37 thank you for king david by the way that the wicked are going to get what they have coming to them but as the righteous it's different for us may you impact our souls let us have a different attitude. Let us have a different testimony. Let us have a different lifestyle. And as we think about that, may we have an impact on those who are coming after us. That our descendants may be blessed. In Jesus' name we pray. If you agree, say amen. Okay.